If you have good thoughts, they will shine out of your face like sunbeams, and you will always look lovely. That was posted this week by Chaplain Laura Hutchinson from Barton College. If you have good thoughts, they will shine out of your face, and you will always look lovely. Shine, Jesus, shine. As we gaze on your kingly brightness, so may our faces display your likeness. Ever-changing from glory to glory, shine, Jesus, shine. This title caught my eye this week, Cultivating Compassion. The editor of the Christian Century, Peter Marty, said that he was musing about the many leadership books he's read in his adult life, which list characteristics that capture attention of followers. What attracted people to Jesus, interesting enough, he writes, were not the traits we customarily associate with effective leadership in our day. Those are things like innovation, self-confidence, decisiveness, creativity, strategic thinking, and more. Jesus' personality may well have included these things, but there's something else about Jesus that drew people to him. When people followed Jesus, they were drawn by his compassion as much as by anything else. He possessed what Presbyterian pastor Frederick Meekner describes as the fatal capacity for feeling what it is like to live in someone else's skin. At the very outset of his ministry, Jesus touched and cleansed a leper, moved as he, as then, and at many other times, with compassion. Jesus cared for the crowds with the deepest part of his innermost being, the Greek word used for this is splagchizdomai, from his gut, we might say. Jesus had a gut feeling for what others were experiencing, which he then acted upon with kindness and compassion. Because compassion was central to Jesus' life, we may understand compassion as the primary ethical virtue of Christian life. If we want to be Christian, wrote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian and martyr in the resistance to Adolf Hitler, if we want to be Christian, we must share in Christ's large-heartedness, his liberating love for all who suffer. In the ninth chapter of Luke's Gospel, Change is Coming, First, there'll be a change in the setting. We've been in Galilee. Now we are at one of those transition points from Jesus' ministry in Galilee to his days in Jerusalem. At the beginning of chapter 9, the 12 have just come back from their mission. In chapter 9, Jesus stops to feed the 5,000. In chapter 9, there is second, a change in the direction, a change in the way in which Jesus is going. Luke 9, 51 says, 
he set his face to Jerusalem. In chapter 9, Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There, third, is a change in the disciples' understanding of who Jesus is. To mark that change in chapter 9, Jesus foretells his crucifixion and his death. And then in chapter 9, we have today's gospel lesson. A week after these passion predictions, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed. Changed. Shine, Jesus, shine. In the church just before Lent, we read the story of Jesus' transfiguration when on the mountaintop. The appearance of Jesus' face changed, and his clothes became dazzling white. Two men appeared with Jesus, Moses and the giver of the law, Moses who is the giver of the law, and Elijah, the prophet who spoke God's word against King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. Luke writes, They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure. The Greek word here for departure is exodus. Jesus is speaking of his exodus with Moses, who led the exodus of the people of Israel out of Egypt onto the promised land. Jesus is speaking of his departure with Elijah, who famously did not die but was taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot within the whirlwind. These two, Moses and Elijah, are the last persons who are mentioned in the Old Testament in his last book, the prophet Malachi. The day of the Lord is coming, and in the final verses of Malachi, we read this. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statues and ordinances that I commanded him. And then we read this. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, bring the Old Testament to a close. And remember the mountaintop experiences which each had with God. After a journey of 40 days and 40 nights, remember that number 40, Elijah meets God on the mountain. There's a great wind so strong that it's splitting the rocks and breaking them into pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Modern translation is the sound of sheer silence. Elijah wrapped his face in his mantle and went out as the Lord spoke to him. The thunder and the lightning and the cloud of presence come with God's summons to Moses to come up the mountain. Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. Exodus 24, 17. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring, fower, a devouring fire in the midst of the people of Israel. Verse 19. Moses entered the cloud and went up the mountain. Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Remember that number, 40. 
Moses spends an extended amount of time with the Almighty God on the mountain, and upon his return, his face shines. Exodus 24, 29 says, The skin on his face shone because he had been talking with God. And when the Israelites then saw Moses, his face is shining, and they're afraid to come near to him. So Moses wears a veil when he speaks to the people after meeting with God, as it were, face to face, but not quite so. Exodus 33:18. Moses said, Show me your glory, I pray. Exodus 33:19. The Lord said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name of the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But says the Lord in the next verse, you cannot see my face for no one shall see me and live. It's no wonder that we see Moses and Elijah with Jesus in this moment of transfiguration. Transfiguration means change. The appearance of Jesus' face changed, and the appearance of his clothes changed too. They became dazzling white. Mark adds the little note, as white as no fuller on earth could whiten them. Extremely white, as no launderer on earth could make them white. I think it's like the old Ajax laundry detergent, stronger than dirt with the knight who comes with his lance and blasts it at workers whose clothes are suddenly white, whiter than white, stronger than dirt. We see Jesus changed. We see Jesus in all his glory. Luke tells us that Peter and his companions are weighed down with sleep. But since they stayed awake this time, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with them. Disciples sleeping while Jesus is praying is not unusual. This time, however, they stay awake. And even though they're sleepy, they behold the transfiguration of the Lord Jesus and the appearance of Moses and Elijah. Jesus now shines before them in his glory, not just because he was in the beginning with God, as John writes, but because, as the word was made flesh, he was God, as John tells us. Of course, Peter wants to build three tents to shelter Jesus and Moses and Elijah, and certainly to make this moment last, but things are changing. The scripture lesson with Jesus shining on all the light of his glory is the last gospel reading in this season after Epiphany. On Epiphany, we celebrated the shining of the star to lead the wise men to the Lord. What began with the shining of that star now begins with the shining of Jesus himself. Epiphany ends and Lent begins. Lent will begin this week on Ash Wednesday. So first, there's a change for us, a change in the setting on the church calendar. The season of Epiphany gives way to the season of Lent. And what number did I ask you to remember this morning? Forty. Lent is the 40 days and nights leading up to Easter. It's a time for change. It's a time for us to change. So second, there's a change in direction for us, 
a change in the way in which we are living. Lent is our season to repent and to return to the Lord. So third, there may even be a change in our understanding of the Lord. By this, I mean a deepening of our relationship with the Lord. We still know what Peter said, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Yet in Lent, we are given time to grow in our understanding of who the Lord is in our lives as we draw closer and closer to him. In case you did not hear it the first time at the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And in case you just missed Peter's confession, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, here comes the voice from the heaven again at Jesus' transfiguration. And this time it's speaking to us. This is my son, my chosen. And this time the voice adds, listen to him. Listen to him. The Apostle Paul speaks to this change, this transformation to us. In the epistle lesson paired with today's gospel lesson, it's 2 Corinthians 3, 12 through 18. There, first Paul mentions the veil Moses, after speaking with the Lord, put over his face to keep the people of Israel from gazing at the reflected glory of the Lord. Second, Paul says that the minds of Israel were hardened in that day in such a way that to this very day, as Paul puts it, a veil lies over their minds. There's a veil that stands between them and the understanding of the reading of Scripture. Third, Paul says, only in Christ is that veil set aside. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 3.18, Paul writes, And all of us with unveiled face, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Seeing the glory of the Lord, Paul writes, we are transformed. Some have looked at this transfiguration story as an example to direct our lives from a mountaintop experience to be followed by the admonition to come down into the valley of service. Lent's our season to be changed. Change the setting of your life as the church season changes to Lent. And come on back to church. Change the way of your life this Lent. Repent and return to the Lord. Change your understanding this Lent of who Jesus is and who Jesus can be for you. Listen to him. Draw nearer and nearer to Jesus, beholding the glory of the Lord. There's truth in the analysis that life's rhythm consists of occasions of inspiration in God's presence, followed by occasions of routine and everyday duty. In our lives this Lent, we're following Jesus as he's leaving his glory on the mountaintop behind and heading to Jerusalem to his passion, which means his suffering. Compassion means to suffer with. Going back to Luke chapter 9, we find the feeding of the 5,000, 
the story of a blessing of Jesus for the people told in all four Gospels. Matthew leads into it this way, Matthew 14, 14. He saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them. Going back to where I started, Peter Marty concludes his message about cultivating compassion with these words. Developing compassion takes practice and intentionality so that our hearts actually open up and behave benevolently. Compassion is hardly an automatic reflex, even for the most faithful. It's more like a disposition we have to keep fitting ourselves for as we are being transformed. As Paul puts it in Colossians 3.12, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion. May we do that as we cultivate a change in ourselves this Lent. Amen.